tocca il pallone verticale su Lukaku si gira, attenzione, va al tiro e gol, e gol Luca, 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 Luca Lukaku, Lukaku, Lukaku Hello and welcome back to Serie A Spotlight. This is Season 2, Episode 38, and we're your hosts, Matt and Jake. We've got a lot to talk about in this episode. We're going to be covering all of Match Day 35, as usual, um, along with the Champions League semi-final between Milan and Inter. Yes, unfortunately for us, we currently, um, we've had a bit of a weird day. Yes. So... This is the the day after, right? The the Champions League game against Inter. Um, me and Matt both took today off. Um, Matt, you, you, you took it off because you had a tattoo appointment and I took yep. it off just in case Milan managed some crazy comeback and the celebrations would be wild. I didn't want to have a, a time limit, you know, to restrict yeah. me. But instead, you know, um, the game was more realistic than, than ideological. And yeah. um, of course, we ended up home at 11.30. Miserable. We watched Love Island Malta. <laughs> we played five games of FIFA. By the time we're done, it was half past two, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we went to bed today. I woke up in the late afternoon. <laughs> it's been a bit miserable. It has been. So for those of you that didn't tune in, strangely, um, in the first leg, Inter got it done essentially in the first 20 minutes of the game. Um, so Rafa Leao wasn't available for that game um, uh, and Milan conceded two off the get-go. It was a set-piece routine from a corner from Inter where Zerko volleyed into the back of the net. Funnily enough, Calabria was the one marking Zerko. Mm-hmm. Think of the height difference there. You've got someone that's around six foot four versus someone that's five foot ten. Um, and then the second goal came from, well, Shambolic defending by Milan. It was a long ball across the ground from the left into the center area just outside the box where Mkhitaryan finished cleanly. There yeah. was a massive gap to play the ball in over there. Zerko was instrumental on both goals. The first one, of course, getting the better better of his man Calabria. Marked him, to be honest, perfectly considering yeah. the, height, the height difference. Yeah. did the best he could. And the second goal, Zerko, you can literally see him pulling Tomori away to free yeah. space for Mkhitaryan to run in th- through the middle. So that experience over there completely tore Milan apart. Yeah. Shortly after, and then Ben Nasser went off injured. Just after that, there was another injury scare for Milan as Mike Manian went down um, flexing his knee. But I, I have looked back at it and apparently, well, w- what I think is that he was just trying to win some time for Milan and, and, and change yeah, that yeah, momentum. Yeah, yeah. like Because um, Milan, as they have been many a time, were completely shell-shocked at the beginning yeah, of the game. Yeah. The first 20 minutes of, for Milan are often like that yeah. um, in big games. Milan struggled to do anything. The game was won in the midfield by Inter in the first game. Tonali hit the post at, at one point, getting us mm-hmm. a, getting Milan fans a, a glimmer of hope. But Milan lost 2-0 at home against Inter. And then the second leg, obviously, Milan needed at least two goals to take the game to extra time. Um, Leao was back. Inter played a really defensive line, a, a really, really, really low block that didn't allow Milan to do anything on the counter. Diaz was never in space. Leao was never in space. Giroud had to cope with the three centre-backs yeah. of Inter. There was um, a massive gap between the midfield and the attack. Milan, to be honest, they had two very good chances in the first half, one especially of Brahim, Brahim Diaz, Diaz yeah. and then another one of Leao. Of Leao. Um, Leao created it himself. 
Brahim Diaz on the other hand. It was the only done. chance Leo actually yeah. had. Um, he clearly wasn't at his best. No, he was still injured. Yeah, Definitely yeah. I mean, it takes three weeks usually to recover from a muscle injury. Yeah. This guy was back and 10 days later. injury as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Brahim, like I said, missed, missed quite a big opportunity. And then um, Lautaro just put the final nail in the coffin with a very clean finish into the near corner of Manian's post. Um and yeah, Inter Inter got away with a 3-0 victory. Yes. Not quite the Derby della Madonnina and the Champions League semi-final we were hoping for. We'd yeah. hope that both teams would be at their best, but it did kind of showcase there the was, difference between Inter and Milan at this point in time. Yeah, there was a tweet that said, um, the Derby della Madonnina, you go in for the TIFOs, the game should end then, and then the match should be played behind closed doors. <laughs> <laughs> well, very um, disappointing. Disappointing, yes, and and it's it's a shame that Milan really were so rattled early on in the in the first game. Um, but congratulations to Winter who have made the Champions League final for the first time in 2010. They they deserve it. They've had yeah. a very good campaign this year in in the Champions League, and it goes to show how a couple of weeks back when we were talking about Inter performing so poorly in the league, the players look motivated now. They actually have something to aim for. The The vibe is good in the dressing room. You know? and, and, you, and you can tell that these players are of, uh, of great quality and when they're determined, when they're motivated, when they're driven, it works. And recently Lukaku was interviewed and he talked about Inzaghi's rotation system. They do have very good squad depth in there. Yeah. Um, granted, the players that they've signed are... Pro- probably worse than the players they had before that, they, yes. that they've sold or lost. Mm-hmm. Um, but the signings they made were always smart. You know, you look at the likes of Darmian, Acerbi, Mkhitaryan. These are players with a lot of experience who can still put, on, put in a shift for you. Absolutely. And they allow you to rotate in the league domestically. You know, they allow you to participate in three competitions. They're in two finals in there. Mm-hmm. So who would have thought that their season would have been so successful, right? Yeah, yeah. And they had a, a very slow start to the season. They, they've got a bunch of losses in Serie A. They struggled for consistency, but it just seems like they're much more consistent now. And like I said earlier, it really showcases the difference between Inter and Milan at this point. It looks like <clears throat> Inter are far more into their project than Milan are, which yeah, isn't the case. It is the case. Well, is it? Because of Milan course. have had Fiori for three seasons and oh, they've yes. got Inzaghi two When it comes two to the manager, ago. yes, but when it comes to the management, mm. Inter have had Zang for way longer than Milan have had. Um, first of all, Milan's owner is new because it's, mm. it's Redbird now before there was Elliot, no? Mm. Um, Milan had to recover from the disaster that the Chinese left over 250 million euros of debt. Inter are in financial <laughs> They're in financial turmoil. ruin. That's the difference. That's the difference in reality. Inter have a squad that doesn't have much value to it. Well, now that they've made a Champions League final, it might be actually a saving grace for them. But you look at Milan's project right now, the books are finally balanced. You know, they've been stingy in the markets to try to, you know, balance Mm -hmm. them out a bit. And finally, they're balanced. Now, it would be a shame if Milan's spending power were to plummet because of not qualifying for Champions League, you know, because that's an extra yeah, 50 million. Exactly. So that could make all the difference for Milan right now. But I think project-wise and long-term-wise, Milan are in a, in a good spot and this season has been crucial for, for Inter. Um, they needed this badly. Yeah. yeah. Um, just one more point on that game. In the second leg, it was the 60th minute. Um, it was still nil-nil and Milan hadn't made a single substitution yet. 70th minute, Milan concede and they make their first two substitutions of the game at the same time where they brought on Origi and Salemakers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think 
that approach now obviously Milan don't have the squad depth that Inter have so you're not going to be you're not going to see many substitutions being carried out from the mm-hmm. 45th minute onwards because you're arguably worsening your team exactly however when it's the 60th minute and you've only had two chances very early on in the first half um nothing's quite working shouldn't you make a substitution before the other team scores no, try to yes, change that, things that up was, that was um very very questionable game management by purely in my opinion um the way the game was going everyone was so flustered and nothing was working brahim diaz would drive and lose the ball every time he got it messias to be honest same thing it's over crossing. there Giroud wasn't in the game at all and granted the options of the bench aren't great but Origi looked good when he came on against Inter in the first exactly. he was the best player Salamakers had goal of the month last last month and he has been playing pretty decently yeah. so why not give those guys a run out um, I, I don't know you need a goal why he made his changes after Inter got that third goal yeah. when the game was done so that was extremely questionable um, you know that we here are purely apologists absolutely <laughs> we um, always defend purely um, we think that uh, it's not really his fault uh, but granted the depth isn't there for him to work with but he could have made a, a substitution there it, there needed to be a substitution uh, made no no com- it, it was obvious it was clear as day dude completely completely bro um, I want to hear my what I drafted last night when I was um, upset and high in bed you, you were journaling yes I was journaling <laughs> so I wrote Pioli's on fire and I, I started to break down that statement, that sentence. No, Pioli's on fire, all right? So Pioli's on fire. That means you have two key themes, right? You have Pioli mm. and you have fire. Okay. Now, Pioli's consistent. No, it's the person, Pioli. Mm. Fire, what do you need for fire? The fire triangle, you need oxygen. Yes, exactly. You need fuel, you need heat, all right? Let's say the oxygen in this case last season was the talent. No, you have Leao, you have Tonali, you have Benasser, you have Tomori, Kalulu, Kessi, all these guys full of life, full of a point to prove, you know, young, just oxygen. Mm-hmm. Then you have the fuel. You have Maldini and the ownership with their smart signings, you know, bringing in mm. Kalulu, bringing in fucking Tonali on, on mm. a bargain, Crotone going down, dropping two divisions practically. Mm. You have all these moves being made by Maldini that, that season. They were very good. And then you have finally the heat, you have the curva sud, you have the support mm. of the fans. And that after COVID, when everyone was in isolation, you go and you have 80,000 people singing your name. That's beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. So what changed from this, this combination? This Mercato, we didn't have the, Milan didn't have the fuel. No. 35 million and you bring in Charles de Catalare. You know, you sell, you sell Kessie, you don't replace him. You know, right wingers still avoid. There's... Messias and Salamakers. It's quite mm. not quite good enough. A striker, you bring in Origi. Granted, we all thought he would have done a bit better, but even, there wasn't a proven domestic even, striker. Even there was, a, there's no striker scores more than ten fucking league goals consistently. Bro, you know? even even a vice Mike, for example, yes. we saw how much Tata had uh, struggled last season. Sure, he had that Lautaro Martinez penalty save, so on and so forth. But don't tell me. That, that that it was it was a good idea to keep Tata on. Yes, it was a good idea yeah, not to replace exactly, Tata. Yes. Um, Pioli does have his limitations, okay, particularly when it comes to rotation, his in-game management, the set-piece setup with the zonal marking, for example, and all that. But at the end of the day, don't tell me that this squad was good enough to be in a semi-final of a Champions League. No. At the end of the day, everyone's calling it this collapse. But round of 16, Milan got through. Quarter-final, Milan got through. Semi-final, it's not a collapse. You just no. made it very, very far. 
I would say the collapse at the end of the day is in the league, you know? Yeah, that, no, that's uh, it. completely. That's, that's it. When you're risking top four and it would be a shame if mm-hmm. this project, from, this from relationship that... between Milan and Pioli had to end because of a season like this where he put all the eggs in the Champions League basket where he had a 1% mm-hmm. chance of winning it. But then it's inexcusable when you look at, for example, the way that the team changed after that 2-2 draw against Roma. The 80th minute in that Roma game, Milan were flying. Milan were flying. Before that, sure, there was a weird draw against Sassuolo, but Milan were close to Napoli in, in, that, part, yeah. in that part of the season. And then the, the time after the, the World Cup came about, Mike got injured, Milan got riddled with injuries, and, and they got demotivated, the and France lost the World Cup. Everyone became shit. Pioli had to change to a, a, a <laughs> three, 3 5 2, then a 3 4 3. Scraped through Spurs. Scraped somehow. through Spurs. But if, if you were to tell me three seasons ago, Milan just lose out on Champions League, getting fifth place on the final match day, and Gattuso get sacked. Milan signed John Paolo. Opening nine games, disaster. Some of the worst football I've ever <laughs> seen Milan play. Suso playing as an attacking midfielder. Everything was a fucking as, as a trequartista. Opening nine games, absolute disaster. And then Milan decide, ah, let's get this guy Pioli, who had a semi-decent stint at Inter, a semi-decent stint at Fiorentina, a semi-decent stint at where where else was he? Pioli, ah. Fiorentina, Inter, Fiorentina, uh, Inter, uh, whatever, whatever. Yeah. whatever. And Milan decided to get him on board. I was furious. I was furious. I was saying, better we kept Gattuso in the first place. If you were to tell me that within two seasons of that, with the squad that Milan had, with Cutrone up front, with, who was it, Luis Adriano? Next to, no, Piontek. Piontek and Lea up front as strikers with Suso behind them. Shalanoglu, Cassie and Biglia. Uh, Musacchio Rodriguez, Musacchio Romagnoli, Calabria, Donnarumma. That was the name. And then after two years... Pioli wins the league with that team and gets the club back into Champions League twice in a row. All right, first time, get knocked out in the, in the group stages, come last in the group. Um, and then the second season, make it all the way up to the semifinals when you're playing Napoli, who blew everyone else out of the park in Italy. You beat Spurs, okay. Spurs are shit, but watch any Italian team against any English team and see how that typically tends to go down in the Champions League, at least for Milan. Chelsea were shit this season. Mm-hmm. You saw what Chelsea did to Milan. Milan, Milan tactically, it, tactically beat Spurs. I would have never guessed that Pioli would have this success. He's had incredible highs. He's my favorite manager in history, in all of fucking history. Pioli is my favorite manager. I think now there are two choices. If Milan get the opportunity to invest and to shake things up, maybe there should be a change in management. If the squad is going to remain consistent, I don't see the appeal in getting a new manager to try shake things up within the same squad, because Pioli knows that squad best. So either Milan are going to shake things up and get in a new manager and get in new players. But if the team is going to remain the same, keep Pioli, in my opinion. I don't know. I don't know. I think... I think Pioli should only be kept if top four is achieved. That's it, right? 
Um, I think that's that, that was the objective at the start of the fe- of the season. Granted, the Champions League spell was very good, but at the end of the day, you have to prioritize. No, you can't miss out on top four. Like you miss out on winning the league. Mm. Okay, you you get second, you get third, you get fourth. Fuck it, you get fifth. Mm. Unacceptable. It's a step back in the league, right? Uh-huh. Um, especially when you put all your eggs in a basket where you have to face fucking Real Madrid or Manchester City in the final. Like good luck winning that. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, as we mentioned, right? Purely, it's true. He's playing with. Many positions that need to be backed up. There's no right winger. There's no trequartista. So I wouldn't mind seeing Pioli's system with new signings, with adequate replacements for a right wing position, that's a striker that's fit and can start 90 minutes every week, uh, a trequartista that, that's full of confidence, full of life. You know, I mean, we saw certain players in the first season under Pioli. We saw how they did in the second season. Maybe CDK is that guy next year. We don't know. But then the, when you look at the in-game management, don't you think that maybe it's just not good enough? Like, if Sometimes, yes, bro. Sometimes I, I think it's not good and enough. And are you Yesterday thinking, was a prime when, when you say if, if purely manages to get top four, let's say in some lucky world, Lazio lose a game and draw two games and Milan win two games, whatever, and they, and they get to the Champions League. Even though it's not in Milan's hands, Milan get Champions League. And Milan decide to keep Pioli because of that stroke of mm. luck. Are yeah. you thinking? Are you thinking about what's better or what's fair? What's because better, I want man? I want to think about what's better as as what's, a Milan fan. What's better is consistency, and that's what Milan haven't had in a long time. If the targets, if the objectives of the season are reached, the objective was top four. No, they were saying granted title defense and all that. Maybe they were saying that for the pressure or whatever. Top four. Is the minimum. Mm. Semi-final of the Champions League isn't bad. No, it's not bad. It's an achievement. It's an achievement, achievement. actually, yes. So he he put this team on the map, the biggest stage, the final four teams in Europe, the best competition in the world. And Milan are in the last four. You know what I mean? Yes. Like the whole world watching. And everyone's like, what the fuck is this team? Like, how are they here? And Uh we're wondering the same thing. How are Milan there, you know? Mm -hmm. But yes, that's it, bro. Um, At the end of the day, you replace purely. Who are you going to bring in? That's that's it as well. Like you're gonna bring in Conte, you're gonna bring in Conte. So I, I would like it, yes. to see Conte. Conte, Conte will win you the league, you know. But but at It'll the cause end, a rift. Oof, he'll bring in fucking thirty-four year old players who are past their peak just to serve him during his reign. He'll spend two seasons there maximum. He'll complain the entire time about the players and about the management above the management above him and about the investment. He'll fucking drive everyone mad. He'll play his boring brand of football with the three at the back, man. He'll have his fucking. Oof. You know, I, I feel like it yeah. would be a step back. I feel like Conte is a team, Conte is a manager that you bring in if you desperately need to win the league. If you're like a Real Madrid and you haven't won it in three seasons exactly. and you need to please the fans, you know, yeah. Milan have just won the league. You know, that's not the fucking priority right uh-huh. now, winning the league. Uh-huh. You know, the priority right now is a long term. We, we, Milan need to become a superpower again in Europe. And how do you do that? You invest young, you keep a stable project, you renew your best players, and you continue to develop and to improve players. Now, apparently, the, the board are rediscussing Maldini and Massara's contract. Yeah, that's they, a, I mean, everything will come out after a Champions League loss like that. Exactly. The news will always be news. But look, I mean, we can't get into too much kind of um, talk about Milan and their future. We can only wait and see what's going to happen. Um, as well as for Inter, because everything is great for them at the minute, but they're still in a top four race. They have a massive Champions League final awaiting them. And after that, they're going to need to deal with a lot in the summer because of their financial turmoil. Um, 
I think we should move into yes. match day 35. I think we should describe Syria. our goal of the week. <laughs> I think we should describe the goal. That I was going to say a really good, I was going to do a really good segue over here. Match day 35, where there was our goal of the week from uh, Romelu I, I Lukaku. You did ruin it, but fuck it, bro. Lukaku's goal. Lukaku's amazing, back. Huh? Lukaku is back. Luka back. Lukaka back. I don't think it's Lukaka back. Lukaka back. Um, so he received the ball with his back towards goal, totally outside of the box, totally outmuscling the defender that's trying to fucking get all over him. And then he just turns and unleashes a left-footed rocket into the top corner yeah. from distance. Lukaku spoke after the Milan game and he was talking about like... He's come um, a long way. Huh? He's come a very long way since January. He was saying... Um, he wasn't fully fit at the World Cup and he wasn't sharp at the World Cup and he went through a lot emotionally and physically after that yeah, period. That game where he missed those three chances, Thierry Henry admitting to having messaged him every single day to check if he's okay. And normally he's a bit of a hard ass, yeah. Henry, apparently with his players. But he said that um, that's a very difficult thing to go through. We discussed this recently. We said that during the World Cup, that particular game where he missed those three chances, those three clear-cut chances, he disappointed his entire country. So his entire country fucking hates him for it. Right? Everyone's like, oh, Lukaku, fucking hell, what I miss, what I miss. Like, we can't yeah. rely on this guy. This guy's in the future of the fucking national team. And then the rest of the world is laughing at him. So he has absolutely no one on his side, this guy. No one, man. No one. And especially after the controversy of last season, what he did when he was mm-hmm. at Chelsea as well. He would have hoped he'd have, it, he'd have it a bit easier this season. But bless him, bro. He's, he's back. There, there was also that whole... Um, thing where there were a lot of racist comments passed towards mm-hmm. him from January onwards as well. So I love a fucking fighter, man. Yeah. I, I love someone that that when going through all of this, they just keep going and keep going and keep going. And Lukaku has had the last quarter of the season. He's been a star for Inter and now his value is going up. Is, now yeah. Winter are going to miss him next season if they don't obviously find yes, a way. If to, they win the Champions him. League, he's theirs. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Probably. But yes, how about our bets of the week, brother? We forgot. <laughs> we forgot. So we got 50 euro and put it on Real Madrid to make the final. Exactly. Uh, we'll oh see what God, happens. If, if Real Madrid make the final, guys, we have new mics, which is a perfect segue into our Patreon. Yes, check our Instagram. Keep an eye on our Instagram. We have made a Patreon. We'll be giving you bonus content. The fee is $3.99 per month. And that's if you want to support us, guys. If you want this podcast to improve, if you enjoy our content, it's all free. We're not going to make it paid content, you know? Yeah. We'll just give you bonus stuff. You can interact with us more. We'd really appreciate it if you gave a little something back, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, with that being said, also, um, within the very near future, we are going to be working with other entities such as betting companies, so on and so forth, um, in order to get you guys great promo codes in order for you to be able to maximize your betting. For example, you put in a certain amount to play with and you get a return of further credits for you to have more money to play with, essentially. Yes. So we will be working on that and we'll be sure to keep you guys updated on any promo codes that we have. And our studio is currently having the soundproofing attached in the soffit. So that's that's exciting as well. Very exciting. We'll have some, some big things coming up. Um, what we also have coming up is 
finally describing match day 35 to Let's you guys. But after 23 minutes. Before we do with that, I'll just give you guys the classic rundown. So to start things off, it's going to be Monza handing Napoli only their fourth defeat of the season after defeating them. Two goals to nil. Inter beating Sassuolo with the score of 4-2. Lukaku getting two goals over there. Spezia getting out of the relegation zone and sending Milan out of the Champions League zone by beating them 2-0. Lazio only managing a draw against Lecce, who a massive, massive point for Lecce and a massive two points lost for Lazio. Salernitana 1, Atalanta 0. Lovely last-minute goal for Kandreva in a game that looked to me like it was going to be cancelled halfway through yeah. because the storm was torrential. And I've never described the storm as torrential in my life. That's a beautiful word, bro. Thank you, bro. Juve 2, Cremonese 0. No real surprises over there. Bologna 0, Roma 0 in an injury-riddled fixture. Verona 0, Torino 1. Verona back down to 18th place. And Sampdoria 1, Empoli 1. Yeah. Shall we? We shall. So let's start very briefly with Monza Napoli. And I say yes. very briefly because there's not much to play for over here. I mean, these guys, Monza played against a bunch of hungover Napolitans. No, and that's exactly. pretty much everyone for the rest of the, the season. But I have a question for you. Bro. Uh, Losing games like this, uh, will it do the squad harm in the long run? Um, I don't think so. Because they know what, um, they know what mindset they're in right now. They know if they want to switch it up, they can switch it up. I don't think they're going there and putting their bodies and their lives on the line like they did throughout the earlier 34 games throughout the season. I think they're capable of turning up, turning it up. I think it's a choice. Mm-hmm. You see the, the squad that they fielded. Um, they rested a couple of players as well, such as Kvaratskelia, mm-hmm. Di Lorenzo, um, uh, Lozano, Lozano or Politano, well, yeah, the the keeper as well, Meret. Yeah. So I think I think they're they're very aware, and I think they're just trying to not get injured, not outrun their players, and just enjoy and give some people a runabout, basically. Yeah. Um, what yes, do you think? I I I don't know. Um, I look at Spalletti and I see him fuming on the sideline. You know, at the end of the day, he still wants his players to do well, no matter who he's feeling, no matter what he's won. Um, winning is addictive, right? Um, yes, I don't think it's that big of a deal, though. I think that right now they understand that they've achieved what they had to achieve. Now it's time to play with the squad, test out a few players, see what you can get. Um, but you don't want you don't want a dry spell for your goal scorers, huh, for example, for a long period of time. No. no. Um, Men's come down with the flu, by the way. He'll most likely be missing the Inter game. Oh, how, com- how fucking convenient <laughs> that is, eh, bro? That's fucking great, isn't it? The previous encounter was a 4-0 victory for Napoli, but in this game, Monza managed a 2-0 victory. Monza lined up in a 3-4-1-2 formation with the Gregorian goal and the back line of Caldirola, Marlon and Itzo. Marlon, right, Santos? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, I'm not going crazy. <laughs> they decided to change his name to Santos on this. Um, Carlos Augusto on the left and Churia on the right with a double pivot of Pessina and Rovella. Mota just ahead of them with Caprari and Petania up front. For Napoli, they played a 4-2-3-1 formation with Gollini in goal and the backline of Berezinski, Rahmani, Jesus and Oliveira. Double pivot of Angus and Lobotka with Elmas out on the right, Zerbin out on the left and Zielinski playing behind Osimen. 
So in the first minutes, Jelinski almost scored. It was just after 12 seconds he almost scored, but he fired over from a tight angle. And then Monza opened the scoring shortly after in the 15th minute. And they took the lead with a well-worked counter-attack sparked by Nicolo Rovella as Caprari, Augusto and Pessina combined for Mota to bundle over the line at the far post. Lovely piece of play. This is the way Monza played. They're so good on counters. In the 30th minute, just 15 minutes later, Carlos Augusto set up Andrea Petania from 12 yards, but the striker slipped and ballooned the ball over the bar. In the 40th minute, Di Gregorio got a good save on Zambo Anguissa. Game after game, this Di Gregorio guy is just proving to be a top, top, top goalkeeper, and I think he's in the right place, man. Of course, bro. In the 50th minute, just after halftime, Petania scored and got Monza's second goal of the game. He fired low into the near bottom corner after fainting his opponent a bit of Ronaldo Nazari over there. Oh, a, bit of yes. a, a bit of an El Phenomeno shake before yeah. shooting. Was it necessary? I don't know. But he gave us a little bit of a shake as well. It's always good when BBW shake. <laughs> oh, yeah. In the 60th minute, Di Gregorio got down to fingertip Oliveira's header off the line at the bottom corner. Wait, you're telling me Di Gregorio fingered Oliveira? <laughs> That was Jake Fennec. But yes, a lovely save once again by Di Gregorio. Napoli had a couple of penalty appeals waved away. One was from Osimen and the other from Politano, but the referee said nothing doing over there. And in the 80th minute, Petania almost scored an own goal. But that was that. Monza managed a 2-0 victory. Um, I mean, there's not much we can get into on this game. I think obviously Monza had a very good performance, um, very, very good on the counter-attack. And mm-hmm. even though Napoli have won the league, it's no easy feat going going up against them. Mm-hmm. I think what you saw is them really taking the game to Napoli and showcasing how, how far this team has come and how good they are in such a short period yeah. of time. And of course, the motivation for Monza to beat Napoli would be way more yeah. significant than the motivation for Napoli to beat Monza, right? Of course. Um, but Monza have defeated another giant at the end of the day. Mm. Di Gregorio's super game, Pessina, super game, Caldirola, solid at the back. Danny Mota showing... I often talk about Danny Mota and how when he was in Seba, I thought he didn't have it, right? He was mm. one of those donkey mm. players, kind of. But he is a different animal in Serie A, man. He's proving to be versatile as well. He can play anywhere, man. He yeah. played as a Czech artist at this game, starting off at least. Yeah. So, so yeah, he's actually outperforming the likes of Caprari and Petania. So, very good for him. Um, great, great for Monza. Yeah. And in fact, on, on that point, Monza have only lost one of their last 11 league matches. And it was a 2-0 loss against Lazio on the 2nd of April. And no team have done better than that since the beginning of March in Serie A. However, Salernitana do match that record over the, their past 11 matches as well. Una mattina. So svegliato. But Napoli, obviously, champions, 83 points. Nothing to discuss over there. Monza climb up to ninth place on 49 points. Level with Fiorentina in 8, Torino and Torino in 10th. The next game we're going to be covering is Inter 4, Sassuolo 2. Inter defeated Sassuolo in a thrilling six-goal match to move ahead of Lazio into third place. Romelu Lukaku celebrated his birthday. This game he scored a... birthday, 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 Here we are again. He contributed greatly to Inter's victory, scoring twice. Despite 
initially leading 3-0, Inter faced some very tense moments this game as Sassuolo fought back. <laughs> coming, coming into this game, Sassuolo had only won one of their previous eight Serie A matches against Inter, but Inter had won just one of their previous seven home matches against Sassuolo in Serie A. Inter have won their last five Serie A games, scoring an average of 3.5 goals per game. My God. Now, give me a break. Inter lined up with a 3-5-2 formation, classic Simone and Zaghi, just leaving everything as is, no, from the Conte days. No, I'm kidding, this is also Simone's system. <laughs> Nothing, don't take away anything from it. Um, Handanovic was in goal this time, um, rotation, the rotation system we spoke about in the opening. Yes. Um, the pressing conversation we had. Alcerbi, <laughs> Devry and D'Ambrosio were at the back with DiMarco on the left, Bellanova on the right, Mkhitaryan, Brozovic and Gagliardini were in the middle with Romelu Lukaku and Correa up front. For Sassuolo, it was Consigli in goal, Tolian as the right back, Rogerio as the left back, Juan Tresoldi, who is going to get a roasting today. Yeah, I, center I, back, I know why. <laughs> alongside Erlich. Uh, Fratesi, Maxim Lopez and Henrique were in the middle with Berardi out on the right, Lauriente out on the left and Defrel up front. And a little bit of vomit in Jake's mouth. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, this is on burping because we are currently drinking Stella some Stellartois, bro. I don't know why you love Stellartois. It's, it's, to me, second to Moretti. If, if they don't have... And, and Moretti comes in packs of four. Stella comes in packs of six. So I typically get Stella instead. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Stella. Yes. <clears throat> Sassuolo thought they had taken an early lead as Domenico Berardi scored from a Laurienta cross, but after a long VAR check, the goal was disallowed due to Armand Laurienta being in an offside position. Correa's header shortly after for Inter narrowly missed the top corner, keeping the scoreline goalless. Shortly after that, Correa found the back of the net, but the offside flag went up, ruling out the goal. Consigli over there giving us a gentle reminder as to how shit he can be. <laughs> Matthews Henriquez squandered a golden opportunity for Sassuolo, heading wide Berardi's cross. And then finally, in the 41st minute, goal! Romelu Lukaku broke the deadlock for Inter. He received the ball with his back towards goal. He turned Juan Tressoldi inside out and unleashed a powerful shot from outside the box, finding the top corner. What a goal, what a goal, what a goal. Yes, sir. Our goal of the week and Juan Tressoldi's first mistake of the match. In the 46th minute, Correa was substituted due, uh, due to a slight muscle issue, making way for Lautaro Martinez. In the 55th minute, goal! Inter double their lead, the stroke stop, of... La- I'm going to keep doing it. You know, it's a Forza notification. Uh. Goal! <laughs> You're watching a game and your phone just goes, yeah. goal! It's the worst feeling <laughs> in the world. <laughs> yeah, so in the 55th minute, Inter doubled their lead with a stroke of luck. Raul Bellanova delivered a cross. And Juan Tresoldi shinned the clearance into his own net, all right? So that's one on goal, one mistake on Lukaku, two mistakes in the game so far. And the 58th minute, almost immediately after the own goal, Inter extended their advantage as Lautaro Martinez's shot deflected off, guess who? Let me guess, Tresoldi. Yes, and back into his own net. Uh, This time it counted as... Martinez's goal because, of course, the shot was on target. Inter took a commanding 3-0 lead. In the 63rd minute, Sassuolo managed to pull one back as Berardi floated a beautiful cross to the back post and Matthias Henrique headed into the back of the net, reducing the deficit to 3-1. Henrique! Andrea Pinamonti came close to scoring for Sassuolo as his angled drive hit the post, providing a warning to 
Inter for what's to come in the future. And in the 77th minute, just a couple of minutes later, Sassuolo actually continued their comeback as Fratesi got in front of an Aslani. No, sorry, not an Aslani, but the Aslani. He got in front of Aslani to nod in Rogerio's cross, making it 3-2. Sassuolo was within striking distance of an equalizer, but they committed a little bit too much to it. And in the 89th minute, they were punished as Lukaku secured his brace on his birthday for Inter's victory. He latched onto a precise through ball from Marcelo Brozovic and fired across constantly into the far bottom corner, extending the lead to 4-2. The match ended. It was thrilling 4-2 victory for Inter over Sassuolo. Despite Sassuolo's valiant comeback effort, um, they just couldn't keep up with Inter. We thought Kyrgyz was the problem for Sassuolo. We thought Ferrari was the problem for Sassuolo. We thought Tresoldi was the problem for Sassuolo. Turns out maybe <clears throat> it's deeper than that. I think, um, uh, well, we haven't really seen Sassuolo invest anything in, in improving their defence, which has been the clear factor as to why Sassuolo aren't the big game players within the top 10. Now, I don't expect them to finish in the top 7, particularly when they're selling players left, right and centre. But when they have the quality that they have, because they do have quality, they have... A lovely midfield three that I love watching personally. Mm -hmm. And their front three, well, two of them are absolutely fucking deadly. And then you've got the guy down the middle working for the wingers. Um, You would think that this team could, you know, push for conference league. This team can can push for the top 10, um, which they are pushing for top 10. But unfortunately, they have a massive hole in this defense that really limits what they can do. And Consigli gets exposed because of it. They get caught on the counter because of it and they get bombarded and they lose and they concede four goals and they lose because of that. Um, Tresoldi is one of those pawns that that is under fire for for that reason. Yes, he's 23 years old. At least he has age on his side. Um, This was a particularly bad game for him. I mean... He's never looked great, but he's never looked this bad, in all fairness, uh, to him. And if there's a team that you want to look bad against or that you choose to look bad against, it would be the team that's in the Champions League final, right? Yeah. Fuck it. He know, also had a very unlucky showing because a deflection's a deflection. Yeah. Um, the own goal, it happens. Yeah. And you said that the first goal was, was a mistake from his end. It was just Lukaku yes. outplaying him in the area that he knows he can outplay exactly. him. As he's um, outplayed many a top player before. Exactly. So I, I think Ruan had a very bad showing in this game, but I don't think he should be... Um, I, he's definitely not the reason as to why Sassuolo's defense is the way it is. Yeah, no. In fact, in the 64th minute, um, Dionisi brought on Ferrari for Ruan, right? Mm. Um, and Lukaku's goal at the end, you can see him destroying Ferrari. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he does destroy anyone. Dude. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But yes, bro. Um, Inter, right now, you look at where they stand in the league. This was a massive victory for them. They currently sit in 66. They've got Napoli up next. Victor Oziman has the flu. Everyone in Naples is hungover every day, always either hungover or drunk right now with the celebrations. It's been 30 years. Good on them. Napoli might not look at this game as a game that's very 
important to win, right? Considering that they might be, they might want to spite Milan for kicking them out of the Champions League and um, beating them four 0 Yeah, I wouldn't put it past yeah. Napoli to if do it, that. To be honest, if Napoli just spread their legs wide open and let Inter continue to cement that top four finish, hoping that Milan would finish outside mm. the top four, I would not be surprised. Yeah, there's also, however, on the contrary to that, I guess since Inter are in the Champions League final, representing Italy in the Champions League final, Napoli will be a bit bitter that it wasn't them. They would have liked to think, then they would want to show the world that they could have done a better job yeah, against Inter, yeah. perhaps. Um, look at Inter's form, Jesus Christ, just win, 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 like, that's fucking mad. But yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a very good game between the two. I think it'll be nothing short of competitive. Yes, um, yes, I, I would actually be, be surprised if Napoli just opened their legs. I was, I was kidding. Of yeah. um, <laughs> a big game like this against a team that's in the Champions League final, again, you'd want to win it. Now you'd want to show the world, like, listen, it was a fluke that we got eliminated. Yeah, exactly. We should have been there. Exactly. Know? We beat the potential Champions League winners. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Um, Inter currently sit in third with 66 points. That is now four points ahead of Milan. Um, while their opponents in Sassuolo sit in 13th with 44 points. The next game we're going to be covering is Spezia 2, Milan 0. Skip. Um, the previous encounter was a 2-1 victory for Spezia. So coming into this game, Spezia hadn't won any of their last eight league games and had failed to score in 10 of their 19 matches played in 2023. Um, on the other hand, Milan had recently beaten Lazio, so there was a bit of a high going on there. So Milan fans would have been hopeful that this game could have been a step in the right direction for Champions League qualification. Um, the Rossoneri were torn between preparing for the second leg of the Champions League semi-final, having lost 2-0 to Inter on Wednesday, and focusing on a top-four finish all at the same time. Options were limited anyway, as Chao was suspended, with Rafael Leao, uh, Ben Nasser, Krunic, Messias, Florenzi and Zlatan all out due to injury. The hosts were increasingly desperate after sliding into the bottom three for the first time this season, plus Daniel Maldini, João Moutinho and Sala and home were injured and a band Kevin Agudelo was unavailable. The good news, however, was, and the all-important news for Spezia, was that their striker, Mbala Anzola, was fully fit to start this game. On the other hand, Milan lined up in their 4-2-3-1 formation with um, Mike Manian in goal and the backline of Kalulu, Kier, Tomori and Theo. So the double pivot of Poberga and Tonali with Salamakers out on the right, Origi out on the left and Brahim Diaz playing behind the striker, Ante Rebic. So in the 10th minute, Sandro Tonali thumped the base of the near upright again from the edge of the area, just days after doing the same thing against Inter in the first leg. They're literally incredibly identical, guys. In the 20th minute, Drangovski flew to fingertip Ateo Hernandez screamer over the bar. Um, in the 55th minute, Brahim Diaz was sent down the right by Tonali's slide rule pass, but his finish clipped the outside of the post. Shortly after, Mike Mania needed a sensational reaction save on Ekdal at the near post after a dummy towards the far post. Tried to trick him. Yeah. He tried to fucking trick Mike. In the 74th minute, Spezia found the breakthrough on a corner as first Amian's free header came off the frame of the goal when Wisniewski was quickest to react on the rebound for his first ever Serie A goal 
making it 1-0 to Spezia and that's what happens when you struggle to kill the game. Yes. In the 84th minute, Milan went 2-0 down uh, to a wonderful Salvatore Esposito free kick that floated over the wall and dipped into the near top corner from just outside the penalty area. Much like Wisniewski, this was his first ever Serie A goal. And one of the contenders for goal of the week, because we forgot to mention that. There was yes. his goal, there was Vlasic's goal that was quite good. Yes, uh, quite good. Kondreva's yeah, goal Kondreva's as well. goal was good, yes. Yeah, yeah. There, there were many good goals. Um, this in particular, this, this in particular, when when you have a free kick just outside the penalty area, it's almost better to have it from thirty yards out than to have it from there yeah. because the dip you need to get on that ball is ridiculous. And to beat Mike Manian from that distance, these Esposito wow. brothers are quite good at football. Huh? Yeah, the other one, the other one's playing for Spal at the moment. Um, the younger one, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Massive, massive, obviously disappointing loss for, for Milan. What does it come down to? How do Milan lose a game like this is the question. Um, it comes down to, first of all, the players haven't had many minutes together, right? When it comes to the rotation towards the beginning of the season, the first half of the season, there wasn't much rotation happening for mm. Milan at all. Um, you'd bring on these players that start that are starting towards the end of the season now. Um, Pioli would bring them on uh, at the end of the games in the first part. Yeah. Now these guys are starting. So you have Rebic up front, you have Origi out on the wing, um, you have Pobega in the middle, um, Kalulu as a right back right now who's lost his form a bit. Yeah. Kalulu. Um, it's it's not looking it's not looking great for for these guys. Um, at the end of the day, you know, sixty percent ball possession, expected goals were very similar. Um, Spezia actually had a bit more, it was like 1.9, while Milan's was like 1.3 mm. or something. Mm. So in reality, it was closer than the scoreline suggests, of course. But the fact that Milan couldn't kill the game is just is just so sad for, for them, right? Yeah. No, I, I agree with you 100%. I think as well the fact that it just made Milan struggle so much that they were constantly caught into two minds on what to focus on because they were... They're fighting relentlessly for in two separate competitions. It's like, which one do we prioritize? Is it yeah. the Champions League? That is a dream that you can't ignore, especially when you're against a, a, a local rival like Inter, which not, not only makes it more fierce, but Milan have beaten Inter this season. Yeah. Okay, they lost to them four times, but, but Milan beat them this season, so it was possible yeah. to do that. So allocating resources between these two competitions and... With such a tight squad and in order for each decision to be effective is no fucking easy task. And I really um, empathize with Pioli over here. But then you see other managers who get it down to a tee and then celebrate playing a team like Spezia before yeah. they play uh, in, in the Champions League semi-final. Yes, and the, the likes of Cremonese, for example. Exactly. Yeah, Empoli, you know. These exactly. But it's always like, like this, brothers. Yeah, okay, like let, this. let me calm down. Even when, when Milan won the league. Back in the day, even when Milan uh, won the league, the games they lost were against Minos. Yeah, <laughs> it's always like when that. Milan got Champions League when they beat Atalanta um, in the final match there with two Kessie penalties, and before that they beat Juve three 0 with a Tomori yeah. header and 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 that Brahim goal, all of that. Um, even the Sassuolo they, one with the the four the four nil at the end of the season. But right? that's that, but that, that's last sa- season. Yeah, last season Salernitana held Milan in a very delicate moment of yes, the season. Yes, yes. Yeah. And then um, in in the the season that I'm saying where they beat Atalanta and Juve, they drew to Cagliari nil nil. Were on the brink of relegation. They drew to someone else. I I, I forgot who it was. Um, 
so yeah, M- Milan don't make it easy for themselves. And in fact, after this game, uh, the Curva hailed the entire squad over. The entire squad, including Pioli, um, went up to the Curva and the Curva gave them an earful, mm-hmm. basically. Now, it was probably more of a motivational chat mm-hmm. rather than a, an earful. I doubt they were criticizing them, but more giving them words of affirmation and, and kind of hyping them up. And I don't know how to feel about that. Like, looking at it as a, as a Milan supporter, I find it wholesome. But at the same time, like, can it get lower? Look, I don't think it's a low point to talk to your fans. I don't think having the squad stand in front of the the curva, the fans, and having them share their opinions or their views is a bad thing because at the end of the day, the club belongs to the fans. The manager That's a beautiful thing. The manager, the management and the players are there temporarily. The only consistent in a football club is the fans. Mm. That's it. You look at me and you, bro. We've been Milan fans for longer than Maldini's been the technical director. Yeah. We've been fans for longer than fucking Rafael Leao has played for the team. We've been there for, for longer than any of these guys have. You know, it's it's, it's just the way it is. Yes. Um, so it is good to see Milan give the fans the respect they need, especially when you look at my fire triangle that I explained before, mm. but the fans are a big part of it. You know, the fans are a massive part of Milan's success because, and, and I would even say, I'd go as far as saying that Milan's seven Champions League titles are because of the San Siro, man. The San mm. Siro Stadium is is a, a theater, man. The fans are amazing. They're amazing. They're incredible. Look, look at pundits. Micah Richards was there yeah. on CBS and he couldn't even speak. He was gobsmacked by the, by the atmosphere. He was just like, look around. I don't even have anything to say. Like, look mm. around. And he's right. He's right. It, it is an amphitheater, bro. It's beautiful. Yeah. No, I agreed. Agreed on that front. Um, obviously, look at these two teams, Milan and Spezia, and, and you see two very different battles. So there's... Milan taking a slip up in the race to top four, where they currently find themselves uh, four points uh, behind Lazio, who are in fourth place and five points behind Inter, who are in third place. So Milan need to stay consistent and hope for other teams to slip up. On the other hand, Spezia finally, well, finally, um, they, they were down in 18th last week and now they climb up to 17th after Verona dropped points in this match. So two very, very separate battles. Three games to go. I'm going to ask you for a bit of a, a prediction on how these two teams do, including Milan, bro. So let's take a look at Milan, Inter and Lazio's next three games. So Milan have to play Sampdoria at home, Juventus away and Verona at home. Inter need to play Napoli away, Atalanta away and Torino at home. While Lazio need to play Udinese away, Cremonese away and Empoli at home. Now... The toughest run-in, in my opinion, is that of Inter. For they sure. They have a Champions no League final to prepare for as well. The thing is their spirits are high. Um, Napoli have already won the league, of course, as we discussed. So that leaves Atalanta away and Torino at home. And Torino don't really have much to play for. Atalanta will be pushing for that Europa League spot. But to be honest, it's pretty much confirmed. So it's not as hard as it could be. On the other hand, Milan and Lazio have a few challenges coming up that are that are quite massive. Milan have Sampdoria at home who are playing without any pressure because they've already been relegated and that's probably the atmosphere they need to yeah. actually get 
um, completely to, to get a, a result they need. Um, Juventus away for Milan is a game that they've found success in recently, but it could easily be a draw or a loss. And then Verona at home, who are also fighting safety, that's a tough, 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 tough game, um, especially if they're, they're not relegated by them, which I highly doubt they would be. Mm. Lots you have Udinese away from home, Cremonese away from home as well, and then Poli at home. They, technically, they should win all of them. Um, Cremonese is the toughest one, of course, while Empoli and Udinese are pretty much safe. So that leaves that. But you can't really say what's going to happen. No, bro. No. I, I don't know. Um, if I had to guess, I think that Milan would miss out on top four. Mm. Um, yeah, I think Inter will continue to win. I think that Lazio won't. They need to drop four points and Milan need to win everything. I don't think Lazio drop four points over here against Udinese, Cremonese and Empoli. I'd be, I'd be very surprised if they Yeah, well, they, they have been dropping points and they drop points to Lecce this match yeah. day. But yeah, but I, I, I share your opinion. I don't think Milan will be getting top four when you look at... like. Milan have favorable in inverted commas fixtures, but the fact that they're four points behind, they need to win everything and hope that Inter slip up who have been top notch and that Lazio slip up when their fixtures are rather favorable. Um, I, I don't see it yeah. happening. I the don't. thing is, though, if Milan beat Sampdoria and Lazio lose to Udinese, for example, or Inter lose to Napoli, then it's all to play for and the pressure mounts. And if the pressure mounts, then Milan are at advantage to that. Yeah, yeah, things can change. Um, things can change. In the bottom part of the table, you have Lecce, Spezia, Verona and Cremonese, who will go down. Cremonese, of course, um, it's looking unlikely that they'll stay up. Mm-hmm. They have Bologna at home, Lazio away and Salernitana at home. Three very difficult very games. Um, yeah, Verona have Atalanta, Empoli and Milan, also three very difficult games. Spezia have Lecce away. That's happening this weekend, a 12-30 game. I believe it's on a Sunday. That's going to be a massive game. Yeah, it's going to be nice, pointer. man. It's going to be a good one. I, I suggest everyone tunes in. It's going to be a sold-out stadium. It's going to be a massive game. Torino away and then Roma away. While Lecce have Spezia at home, Monza away, and Bologna at home. I don't think Lecce will get relegated. Mm. Um, now it's between Spezia and Verona for me. Um, Spezia, Lecce, Torino, Roma, Verona, Atalanta, Polimina. It's so I think, I think tight, it's bro. so tight, dude. So good. I, I think Verona will go down. Yeah, I think I think I'm not gonna say who I think go go down, but I think Spezia survive. Mm. I think they survive. Okay, okay, fair enough. So, um, shall we move on to my game? Yes, I'll just let you guys know where these teams are in the table, even though I've already kind of said. Milan are in 5th on 61 points, 4 behind Lazio, while Spezia are in 17th on 30 points, level on points with 18th placed Verona, um, and just 2 points behind Lecce. Okay, so the next game we're going to be covering is Lazio 2, Lecce 2, speaking of Lecce. Yes. Coming into this, Lazio had lost their previous two Serie A matches against Lecce, so Lecce are actually a dark horse for Lazio. Lazio have failed to score in only one game out of 16 Serie A matches played at the Olympico Stadium against Lecce. Lazio have suffered three defeats and a draw in their last five league matches, so their form has dipped. Um, if this trajectory continues and they will slip out of top four. Coming into this, Lecce had lost their five last away games in the league. Now, 
For the lineups, Lazio lined up with their usual 4-3-3 formation courtesy of Maurizio Sarri with Provedel in goal, Hisai as left back and Lazzari as right back with Romagnoli and Chassale <laughs> as the centre-back duo. Luis Alberto, Marcus Antonio and Milinkovic Savic were the midfield trio with Zaccani, Immobile and Felipe Anderson up front. For Lecce, it was also a 4-3-3, their usual formation, Marco Barone. Um, Baroni, sorry, my God. Falcone was in You're goal, Jean Dre was the right back, Gallo was the left back, Umtiti and Bascarotto were the centre back duo. These guys always play the same 11. Udin, um, Hulmand, and Blin were in the middle with Strefezza on the right, Banda on the left, and Colombo up front. Now, in the 22nd minute, Hisai gave away a penalty. Strefezza stepped up to take the penalty and went left and wide. Provedel actually tracked the shot, but Strefezza failed to hit the target. In the 34th minute, there was a goal. Giro Immobile timed his run perfectly on a Luis Alberto through ball and scored from close range to give Lazio a 1-0 lead. You were actually going to say Giro Immobile. Immobile, <laughs> yes, that's it. Yeah, in the 47th minute in the first half, Lecce actually managed an equaliser just before halftime as Udin, who had a fantastic game, found the bottom corner from outside the box. Udin started the second half just as he ended the first as he scored his second goal of the game following Strefezza's dangerous run into the penalty area. And he shot, again, low and hard. Uh, very well-placed shot. Great play over there by Lecce. In the second half, Lazio pushed forward and created several crosses in the Lecce box, but the visitors defended very well, courtesy of Bascarotto and Umtiti. But in the 94th minute, there was a little bit of rain on Lecce's parade as Milinkovic Savic's header deflected off Umtiti and found the net equalizing for Lazio in the 94th minute. You wouldn't have thought that they'd have celebrated that so hard, but at the end of the day, it's another... It, uh, one point is at this point yeah. is massive for top four. No, cru- you know? crucial, crucial. Crucial, yes. It's the difference between... Milan losing to Spezia and Milan drawing to Spezia. It would have been exactly, an entirely, different, yes. entirely different conversation had that been the case. Yes, Lecce and Lazio actually both maintained their positions in the table. Lecce are in 16th place and Lazio are in third. Lazio will face Udinese in their next match while Lecce will prepare for a crucial relegation battle against Spezia yeah. as discussed. Now, bro, Lazio, when the going get, gets tough, Lazio get going and not in that way, but as in they get going, they leave. Yeah, <laughs> as in they leave the room. Yeah. Um, yes, and, and it's the a lot of pressure is on them now, especially because they've carried themselves in a certain way when it looked like top four was a guarantee because they were um, in second place and there was yeah. quite a gap between them and Juventus. And uh, well, before the, the docked points got given back to them, there was quite a significant gap, obviously, between Juve. There's quite a good gap between Inter and Milan as well and Roma. Um now now they're not in a bit of a pickle, but now they need to fight. And and now they need yes. to they need to win the last three games if, if if they want to make sure that they that they get Champions League. And I don't know, whenever I've seen Lazio on a stage like this, it doesn't seem to end too well, barring that that um uh, Coppa Italia victory a few years back. But I I don't know. As as a Milan fan, I obviously think that, well, co- considering how Milan are right now, that Lazio's chances are much better, considering the, the fixtures and, and considering that they've got four points ahead of Milan. 
Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if they rise to the occasion or not in these next few games. Yeah, definitely, bro. Um, Lecce have proven to be a tough opponent for many big teams this season. The star of this game, Remy Udan, um, is a former Bordeaux player. Um, who actually was pretty good in France. I mean, he used to score like four goals a season, get five mm. assists, that type of player a season. A good signing for them, a very smart signing yeah. for, for Lecture. They brought him in this season. He scored two goals, <laughs> both coming in this match, with nine appearances uh, as a starter. Yeah. Um, he's been super. And yes, he actually managed to make the difference over here. We get to see a few players now who haven't really done much in the league. For example, Empoli. Piccoli. Yeah. Piccoli scored the winner in the 94th. What a mm. time to get your first goal for the club. You yeah. Know? This is why you were signed, like to, to come out and save your team in situations like this. Yeah, absolutely. No, Odin looked really good. He looked really smooth with his movements mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, very calm. Both of his goals were taken really well. Mm-hmm. And I think Lecce need a bit of, they needed a bit of that in their game. I think they were getting a bit, a little bit figured out. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially when you have a when you know their their standout players were really are um, Strefezza, Di Francesco, and then whether it's Cisse or or Colombo starting, those are their standout players. Barring obviously the Bascarottos, the the Umtitis, the Jandres, yeah. the Galdos, and, and and all that. Yeah. But when it comes to the the offensive, they seem pretty figured out. Come in Uden, and he gives them something totally different, and he manages to get them two goals in the way that he did. Yes, bro, totally. Um, nice to see Immobile and Sergei back at it at Lazio, but it was not enough to get them the three points. All is up in the air right now. Um, Lazio currently sit in fourth with 65 points. Milan lurking in that fifth spot with 61 points. No room for error at this point. Um, Inter above them with 66. Um, Roma beneath Milan with 59. Um, Lecce currently sit in 16th with 32 points, two points above the relegation pool. Man, this is getting tense. Yeah, Lecce are the closest to relegation they've been all season. Um, so yeah, let, let's not throw them away in the discussion of relegation. Definitely not. No, they're very much um, alive in the terms of dying. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They're contenders, some yes. might say. Um, the next game we're going to be covering was probably my favorite game of this match day, taking everything into account. It was Salernitana 1, Atalanta 0. The previous encounter was an 8-2 victory for Atalanta, which had gotten Nicola um, sacked, but then they had rehired him and then he got sacked again. Mm-hmm. Um, Joaquim Mele was banned for this game, plus Lukman, Boga, Ruggeri, Palomino and Hatteber were injured, so quite an injury-ridden side over here. Um, Salernitana had not won any of their 14 matches played against Atalanta and Serie A, Serie B and the Coppa Italia. So massive, massive victory against all odds over here for Salernitana. They lined up with a 3-4-1 formation with Ochoa on goal and a backline of Pirola, Lovato and Danilovic. They had Bradaric out on the right and Mazzocchi, sorry, Bradaric out on the left and Mazzocchi out on the right. With Villain and Koulibaly in a double pivot, they had D out on the left, Botheim out on the right and Piontek up front. For Atalanta, it was also a 3-4-2-1 formation with Sportiello on goal and the backline of Toloi, Jim City and Scalvini. Soppi on the right, Zappa Costa on the left and the double pivot of Dehon and Ederson. At Cope Miners out on the right, Pasalic out on the left and Duvan Zapata ahead of them. So in the 26th minute, former Atalanta midfielder Ederson unleashed a powerful long-range shot for Atalanta, forcing Ochoa to make a diving save. 
In the 41st minute, Zapata headed wide following a Martin De Jong cross where he really should have done better. Just after half-time, play became rather tricky in the second half as a full-blown thunderstorm erupted. Um, then Atalanta lost Brandon Soppy due to a suspected hamstring strain within two minutes of the restart. Bulaye Dia squandered a good chance for Salernitana in the 55th minute as he blasted the ball over the bar after being sent clear by Danilovic. And two minutes later, in the 57th, Piontek missed an opportunity for Salernitana with a diving header from a rebounded Botheim cross. In the 70th minute, Jim City left the field with a bruised foot and Atalanta were down to 10 men temporarily. In the 80th minute, Salernitana applied pressure on Atalanta as the game progressed, taking advantage of the waterlogged pitch. They did look much better in those wet conditions than Atalanta did. They adapted much better. Um, and then in the 93rd minute, after all the pressure they were piling towards the end, Antonio Kandreva, a substitute for Salernitana, played a 1-2 with Piontek and smashed a right-footed shot from the edge of the box into the bottom corner, earning his side a vital three points. Yes, bro. Um, I, I think that Zapata particularly really struggled with the conditions. I feel Oof. like they, his team kept putting him on a plate and he just couldn't do anything about it. Then he was subbed off for Muriel and he couldn't get the hang of it either. Then you see players with certain experience like, you know, Piontek and Kandreva mm. who managed, you know, like they, they know how to grind these guys. They yeah. grind when they go and get stuff, you know, they get going and, and that's not in leaving the room. And they, <laughs> They they won. They managed to fucking win it at the end, and I didn't think they would. Um, Kandreva, what a hero, man! Yeah, a massive hero, and and he's really earning um, earning his title as a as a club legend. The more the season progresses, I know he's a new signing for them, but man, has he been pivotal for them this season? Um, yeah, I think I think that pretty much sums up the game. That Salernitana just simply grew into it more as as the conditions worsened. Mm. Now, whether it was um, the fact that they were home and they had the supporters behind them. Oh yeah, um, the supporters are amazing. Yeah, and and also apart from that, their 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 gaps where they, you could afford to be a bit more careless in the rain because mistakes are going to happen, and mistakes were happening on on both ends. And then towards the end of the game, Salernitana were the ones that managed to get that goal. Yes. To be honest, it could have gone either way. Um, but I think Salernitana just prevailed that little bit harder than, than Atalanta. Yes, did. even even statistically, they had a slight edge of Salernitana. They had slightly more possession, 52%. And they had one more shot on target. Now, I know at the end of the day, that might not be enough. Like, you look at the stats of Spezia. Milan even thought that would be a 2-0 victory for Spezia. Yeah. But this was one of those cases where it was just enough to edge Salernitana a victory. Absolutely, man. Salernitana aren't technically, um, mathematically clear of relegation. However, it is of my opinion that there's no way in hell that Salernitana gets relegated this season. Atalanta, on the other hand, the only real thing that they're playing for is Europa League, which they can't technically get when you see that they're on 58 points and that Roma and Milan are on 59 and 61, uh, um, respectively. It could very much be the case that Atalanta get Europa League and Milan or Roma <laughs> slip down to Conference League. That's could, also a possibility. Be, could be. Oh, man. Um, it could be the case. It could also be the case that Juve are docked points and everyone's happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from Juve. That, that could also very much be the case. Everyone's safe. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, the next game we're going to be covering well, is actually... Hold, hold on, hold on, sorry. Atalanta are in 7th on 58 points. West Atlanta are 15th on 38, sorry. Yeah, sorry, that's all right. The transition was perfect. We're going to talk about Juve. The next game we're going to be covering is Juventus 2, Cremonese nil. Thank you for ruining my segue. Juventus <laughs> rotated their squad ahead of their Europa League semi-final decider with Sevilla. Paul Pogba suffered another injury and ha- injury and had to be <laughs> substituted. That overshadowed the victory. I'm sorry, bro. I'm not very good at drinking, <laughs> drinking and talking. <laughs> Mogele had an injury. Yeah. Uh, what did you say? Yeah, Mogele had an injury. <laughs> All right, no problem. Stella Artois. Belgium's finest. 1366. <laughs> Not per bottle, guys. No, uh, yeah, that's the date of um, apparently that Stella Artois was discovered. No way. 1366. 1366. Fuck. Brothers be getting fucked up and in bro- the 1300s. Like, brothers oh. be with their, like, you know, white makeup and their wigs and their. And they're like, fucking, yeah, whatever. Cremonese <laughs> needed a win to close the gap on Spezia and Verona. Charles Piquel was suspended for Cremonese, while Cyril Dessers and Saju were injured. Juventus unveiled their new kit yes. for the 2023-2024 season. Bro, thoughts? It's like a kid drew highlighter on it, man, on, on the sides. I hate that highlighter gold, that highlighter yellow, whatever Fantastic it is. Fantastic insight, Grandpa. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I don't like it. I think it. it's all right. I like the classic black and white. On yes, the classic, they haven't had a black and white normal striped kit in a fucking while, and they that's, should bring that back, true. man. They do need to bring it back. No, this modern fucking bullshit that yes. they're doing. Stop doing modern bullshit, man. It's true. Minimal kits are way nicer. The vintage kits are nice. But at the end of the day, man, it, it doesn't look terrible. It looks worse on the model than it does on the player. Did you see Vlahovic's reaction to it? Yeah. He was like looking at wow. it a bit like, a bit like, what the fuck? Then yeah. he saw the camera. He's like, wow. Yeah. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> Juventus have never lost to Cremonese in Serie A. They won 12 out of their 16 encounters. Juve have a perfect record, of course, at home at Cremonese, winning all eight of their previous encounters with a goal difference of 23-3. Juventus have won 11 of their 14 home league matches since October, the most by any team in Serie A during that period. Cremonese, on the other hand, have drawn the most away matches in Serie A this season, along with Salernitana with a total of eight draws. So for Juventus, it was their weird 3-5-1-1 formation with Perrin in goal, Danilo, Bremer and Gatti at the back with Chiesa out wide and Quadrado on the other side, Rabio, Paredes and Fagioli in the middle with Pogba starting behind Vlaovic. For Carnes, for Carnesecchi, for Cremonese, <laughs> it was Carnesecchi in goal with Ferrari as the right back, Qualiata as the left back, and a 5-4-1. The three centre backs were Vasquez, Lacosvili, and Kirikes. Sorry, man, I can't pronounce your name. Please, Lacosvili. How do you say it? I mean, I say Lacosvili, and I know it's wrong. Like Lacosvili. Yes. The commentators always say it differently as well. Where's he from? Lashowski. I think he's Romanian, if I'm not mistaken. Is he? I might be fabricating lies. He's Georgian. I'm we should ask Varatskelia how to pronounce it. That's a good idea, bro. Thanks. Nice. Afena John, Galdames, Mete, and Benassi were playing behind Okereke, who was the sole striker in a formation that looked to be set up to counter-attack Juventus. Jokes on them, Juve were also set up to counter-attack Cremonese. <laughs> the, the Cremonese's formation looks like me doing my fucking 
um, FM with with Empoli every time I come against the top seven team. Five at the back, like five four one. Nice. Paul Pogba in the 21st minute suffered an injury. He was replaced by Arcadius Milik. He walked off in tears. Um, this was very sad. He was covering his face at the point his top came down. You could see his eyes. They were all puffy and watery. And he was followed into the tunnel by Di Maria, who was consoling him. Very sad for him. You know, you have to feel for him. Yeah. He spent the whole season trying to recover after trying to get that um, shortcut to the World Cup yeah. by avoiding surgery. Um, that's really bitten him in the ass. And he's missed an entire year of football. And he's on a four-year contract and he's making 10 million a year net. Yeah, yeah. So sad. A nightmare for him, man. Poor Absolute guy. nightmare. Making 10 million a season and not playing. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I feel I'm He's constantly people. dreaming. He's a very ambitious player. Yeah. Like, it sucks for him, of course. In the 55th minute, Nicolo Fagioli <laughs> scored a rocket of a right-footed shot from the edge of the box. It was assisted by Federico Chiesa. Now, this was a goal um, against the team that he helped earn promotion last year in Cremonese. He was out on loan with them. He had a very good season in Serie B. This was also his boyhood club. That's why he didn't actually celebrate this goal for Joli. Mm. Uh, it was a very personal goal for him. And then, okay. you know, it's written in the stars, bro. A rule of the legs. Petania yes. scores against his ex-team. Fajoli scores against his ex-team. Everyone scores against their ex-team. In the 74th minute, Milik found the back of the net, but the goal was disallowed for offside. In the 79th minute, Gleason Bremer scored from a blank-ranged shot after a deflection of a Cremonese player following an Angel Di Maria corner. Don't mock me, his name is Gleason, not Gielsen. <laughs> Why would I mock you? If Gleason is the name of my future child, brother. <laughs> I love it. Gleason Fennec. Gle- <laughs> yes. In the 84th minute, Kirikes cleared Rabiot's shot off the line. This was a pretty standard Juve victory against Cremonese. They've, they've, they've been good against these teams recently. Um, and 2-0 is a, is a strong, strong result yeah. against a team who's facing relegation. And these guys would have... Would have been fighting for their life, you know. Yeah, I think it was over after the first goal. I think it took Juve a while, like they didn't, they weren't too active in the first half. But then you see in the second half, they got a goal within 10 minutes through Nicolo Fagioli against his former team. I think once that went in, Cremonese were not set up to do anything else rather than try to get a nil nil in this game, a 5 4 1 formation. And between Okereke and the rest of the team, a massive gap. Mm-hmm. He had to do a lot of work to track back and try pull the ball forward and to no avail because Juve are a, a tight-knit team. Very. Um, so, yeah, I think I think after the first goal, Cremonese crumbled. To be Yes, fair. their idea was to bring on Ciofani instead of Felix Afanagian um, at the start of the second half. And they also brought on Valeri. Now, probably the idea over there was for Valeri to cross the ball to Ciofani and to try to get something out of their veteran striker over there. Um, Sir Nicola was also brought on along with Bonaiuto, Castagnetti. These guys really did try their best to penetrate this Juve defense, but it's very difficult, man. Juve are very tight, as you said. They're a tight-knit team. In fact, Cremonese only managed one shot on target. This year. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And I'm not surprised simply by looking at, at the way these teams were set up. I think Cremonese were set up for failure over here. Unless they would have gotten a nil-nil and yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, at the end of the day, they probably came into this game thinking, let's try to hold them for as long as we can and maybe get one point or get like a last minute winner against them or something like a goal at the death. And we'll try to hold it. But that, of course, yeah. was not the case. Juve flying in second place <clears throat> with 69 points, 
for now. Um, mm. While Cremonese are in 19th with 24 points, six points, well, seven points off of safety. The next game we're going to be covering is Bologna nil, Roma nil. The previous encounter was a 1 nil victory for Roma. Bologna have the most victories against Roma in Serie A with 51 wins in 149 matches. However, Bologna have only gotten the better of Roma once in their last five encounters. Roma were resting Paolo Dybala and Rui Patricio, plus Smalling, Kumbulla, Lorente, Karsdorp and El Sharawi were out injured. So Svilar got his Serie A debut um, and Filippo Missori his first start. The hosts missed Soriano, Sansone, Sao Mauro, Kyriakopoulos and the suspended Stefan Posh while Lukumi was in Colombia for the birth of his child. Congratulations, Lukumi Fakumi, huh? For Bologna, it was a 4-2-3-1 formation with Skorupski in goal and the backline of Campiasso, Sosa, Bonifazi and Silvestri. Dominguez and Schouten played in the middle with Barrow on the left or Solini on the right and Ferguson playing behind Arnautovic. For Roma, it was a 3-5-2 formation with Svilar in goal and the backline of Celic, Cristante and Ibanez. Missori on the right, Zalewski on the left with Wijnaldum, Tahirovic and Kamara in the middle. Bellotti and Solbakken up front. Now that is a sad sight to look at. So many youngsters. This is so Mourinho. You look at <laughs> Missori, Kamara, Tahirovic, Zalewski, Solbakken. Like, who are these guys? Hey, you know? But at the end of the day, these guys are resting players for their Europa League semi-final clash, no? So Yes, but they're they're also riddled with injuries, like Dybala and Patricia are being rested and small in Kumbulla, Lorente, Karsdorp, and El Sharawi are all injured. Yeah. Um yeah, it's sad so it's not a that. it's not an ideal situation for them at all. Um Solbakken had early penalty appeals for a Joaquin Sosa block using a high arm. Referee said nothing doing. Skorupski made a sensational reaction save on Andrea Bellotti after Solbakken squared it to the Italian, who would have had his first Serie A goal for Roma. That was in the 23rd minute. Towards the end of the first half, Svilar was tested and Zalewski's free kick skimmed the far top corner. In the 56th minute, Bove only skimmed his head to a Zalewski cross in the six-yard box. Bit more contact and it could have been a goal. In the 77th, Tammy Abraham just failed to latch on to an inspired Lorenzo Pellegrini's ball over the top. In the 80th, a free kick to the back post found Gianluca Mancini, who turned wide from a point-blank range into a crowd of players. And then in the 85th minute, Zergze volleyed onto the side netting from Cambiasso's cross at the far post. So, I mean, opportunities were there for both teams. However, with both teams riddled with injuries... And both teams having so much respect for each other because they 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 are both two powerhouses in the league this year. It's fair enough that they both managed to get away with one point and didn't risk it all to try get three against all odds. And in reality, Roma will be the happier of the lot with the result. Um, when you look at the statistics and how the actual game went down, um, <laughs> Bologna had seventy two percent ball possession. They dominated the game. They looked like the bigger team over here. They also had way more shots than they did. Um, they had twelve shots Bologna to Roma seven, um, three shots on target to Roma's two shots on target. So at the end of the day, the spoils were shared, and um, Roma will probably be happier than Bologna here. Yeah, I think so, and and also Roma. Um... They have a tight fixture list at the minute. So I think at this point, as much as they would be dying for top four, and it is, in my opinion, a failure of a season 
if Roma don't get top four, especially after the well the investments they made, the players that they brought in, the um, coach they brought in, the coach they brought in, um, they they won the Conference League last year. Now maybe this year they'll do something in the Europa League, and they're in a position to do something over there. But again, the fact that they didn't manage to get top four, I think that that was their main goal for the season and them not getting it might make it a bit of a failure yes. of a season. Yes, and there are rumours of PSG um, looking at Mourinho. Um, mm. Many say that Mourinho is still hoping for another um, stint at Real Madrid. We'll see. We'll see if he does stay along. He said from the start that this was going to be a long-term project at Roma. Um, yeah. We'll see what happens. Yeah, Moore just wants to settle down at this point, man. He's had three seasons here and there for quite a while now. You look at United, you look at Spurs, you look at these last... Well, mm-hmm. he's had three three-year spells his entire career, to, <laughs> true, to be entirely fair. Most managers have. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mourinho, however, has become notorious for a, a yeah. bit of a, a bit of a Zlatan of, of managers in the game, a bit of a journeyman. Um but this essentially puts Roma in sixth on 59 points, just two behind Milan and six behind Lazio. There is technically still a lot to play for over there. And Bologna in 11th on 47, just one point behind Torino. Sorry, two points behind Torino, Monza and Fiorentina. The next game we're going to be covering is Fiorentina 2 with nil. Udinese have won three of their last four Serie A matches against Fiorentina. Fiorentina actually lost their most recent match against Udinese at the Franchi Stadium. Udinese haven't scored in three of their last six matches against Fiorentina. Um, Fiorentina have won their last three home matches in Serie A, while Udinese have lost their last two away games in Serie A. Uh, so this was always going to be... A juicy encounter for Fiorentina. It was their 4-2-3-1 formation with Cerafolini in goal, <laughs> Biragi as the left back, Venuti as the right back, with Igor and Milenkovic as a centre back duo. Duncan and Castrovilli formed the midfield double pivot with Brecalo as the left winger, Icon as the right winger, and Barak playing behind Kwame. For Udinese, it was a 3-5-1-1 formation with Silvestri in goal, Rodrigo, Becao, Bijol and Perez at the back, Bocele as the right winger, Ziegler as the left winger, Lovrich, Wallace and Pereira were in the middle, with Samardzic playing off the shoulders of Nesterovsky. Now, in the sixth minute, Duncan smacked the post from a long way out. Um, this led to Gaetano Gastrovilli scoring um, from six yards after an accidental assist from a knockdown by Rodrigo Becao. So the scoring was open nice and early on. Antonin Barak found the net shortly after, but the goal was disallowed for Ricona being in a tight offside position. And in the 34th minute, Josip Brekalo hit the post of an open goal after drawing out the goalkeeper on a counter-attack so close to getting his first goal for Fiorentina. In the 78th minute, Denezes Vivaldo Semedo rattled the woodwork with a looping header just a minute after coming on as a substitute. And in the 90th minute, Giacomo Bonaventura rolled back the years as he cut inside the Vedita defender and fired into the near bottom corner from 15 yards to secure the victory for Fiorentina. In the 96th minute as well, actually, there was one more moment over here. Tension erupted after the final miss- whistle. There was a fight between Rodrigo Becao and Giacomo Bonaventura. And Becao was fined 10,000 euros for this and Bonaventura 5,000 euros, allegedly. 
Yeah, and they both obviously got sent off after the final whistle, yeah. so they'll be missing the missing their next game as well. But what a goal that was by Bonaventura, another really contender. Nice, yeah, another contender, it's true. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. how much better are Fiorentina than Udinese? It's crazy that they're both fighting for the same position, essentially. It's true, and in reality, it's not like Fiorentina had more to play for than Udinese. They're no. pretty much in the exact same situation. But Fiorentina are much better. They have a very good team. And um, Comisso cockily said at the end of the game, Fiorentina with me will never have any financial problems. Oh, okay. It's kind of the kind of thing you wish Beast. you could tell your girl, no? <laughs> say, hey, with me, you're all right, you know? A little bit, man. Yeah. Who's to say I don't say it already? <laughs> hey, hey. Cha-ching. With me, you're all right. My God, I got chills. <laughs> no, Fiorentina are up in eighth with 49 points, while Udinese are in 12th with 46 points. The next game we're going to be covering is Verona nil, Torino 1. Was that the, was that your last game? No, it was your one before the last, right? This was my penultimate game. Okay, so the next game we're going to be covering is Verona nil, Torino 1. The previous encounter was a 1-1 draw between both sides. The pressure was back on Hellas after Spezia beat Milan, pushing them back into the bottom three. Hrustic, Onri and Lasagna were on the treatment table, while Toro missed Miranchuk and Nemanja Radonjic on Ivan Juric's return to the Bentegodi. Schurz was only fit for the bench as well. Hellas Verona have drawn more matches against Torino than any other side in Serie A. So Verona lined up in their 3-4-2-1 formation with Montepo on goal and the backline of Davidovic, Hien and Magnani, Lazovic on the left, Varoni on the right and Abdelgard and Tameza in the middle. Verdi and Ngonj played behind Juric. For Torino, it was also a 3-4-1 formation with Vanya and goal and the backline of Gigi Bongiorno and Rodriguez. Singo out on the right, Voivod out on the left and Ricci and Illich in the double pivot with Vlasic and Caramo playing behind Sanabria. A lot of itches trying to get me, bro. <laughs> trying to get that lisp out. Trying to get that lisp out. So in the 25th minute, Magnani was forced off the field due to an injury and in the 30th minute, goal. Torino took the lead as Nikola Vlasic unleashed a powerful left-footed shot into the top corner from just outside the penalty area. Fantastic goal, the only goal in the game. And wow, Vlasic is, on his day, Vlasic is a top, top, top player. Yes, his first season in Serie A has been a very good one for 25 years old. Literally, man. In the 48th minute, still in the first half, Sanabria missed a huge chance, some might even call it a sitter, to double Torino's lead, sending the ball into the stands. In the 56th minute, Verona missed a golden opportunity to equalize with Singo making a crucial tackle on Ngonj and Darko Lazovic hitting the rebound into the side of the post. In the 60th minute, Andre Duda was forced off the field with a suspected tie strain. He was only on the pitch for about 15 minutes after coming on shortly after the break. In the 75th minute, Torino wasted three big chances to kill the game off with Ricci's finish flashing just wide and Singo having one shot saved and another mishit over the bar. Verona would have hoped for more, but Torino are such a tough side to play against for everyone in the league. And they managed to get it done here by scoring early and having more opportunities to, to kill the game off and just not managing. I believe they were in full control of this game throughout. Verona will be particularly upset after seeing that um, Spezia manage a 2-0 victory over Milan. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Man. They'll be shocked as well to see that. <laughs> Um, as were we, bro. Yeah, yeah, and as a result of that, they do fall to 18th place on 30 points. Torino, on the other hand, exactly where they typically are, 
10th place on 49 points. The last game we're going to be covering was actually a surprising game, in my opinion. Sampdoria 1, Empoli 1. Um, granted, Sampdoria nowadays are playing without pressure, right? Um, so in reality, when you don't have any pressure, you can play more chill, you can play more mm. composed, you know. You're not really worried about anything yeah. like you're gone already. You yeah, that's why I'm worried about the Milan game against Sampdoria. Yeah, yeah, so am I. Um, yeah. I and I don't think Empoli have much to play for as well after um, survival was confirmed for them. I think, yeah. The... But it hasn't been. No, they looked ecstatic when they got the last minute equalizer over here. They looked really happy. Oh, I don't think enough. mathematically they were safe, or they are safe, so mathematically. But anyway, Sampdoria and Empoli haven't drawn any of their last five Serie A matches with three wins for Sampdoria and two wins for Empoli. Um, this actually changed now. Empoli struggled to score against Sampdoria, finding the net in 56 of their 27 meetings. Only Juve have been shut out in a higher percentage of the <coughs> matches, 63%, 17-27. Yeah, I'll just get into the lineups to be honest. Um, Sampdoria lined up with a 3 4 1 2 with Ravalia and goal. Amion and Nuitink and Gunter at the back with Augello on the left, Zanoli on the right, Winks and Rincon in the middle with Juricic as a three quartista. Qualiarel up front with Gabbiadini. Um, pretty much the same team. As a, that disappointing team. This, these are the disappointments of the season, these guys that we've just mentioned. <laughs> Empoli. Had Vicario on goal, nice to see him back, of course. Abuehi as the right back, Parisi as the left back, Luperto and Walukovic as the centre-back duo, with Grassi and Marin as a double pivot, with Baldanzi out on the right this time, with Cambiaghi out on the left, Henderson as a trequartista, and Caputo up front. I've just confirmed that this one point that they got put them onto um, nine points clear of Verona and Spezia, and there are three games left to play, so... so they're safe unless they come draw in fucking 18th with a team who has a better head-to-head. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so I think they're safe. Though. Exactly. They should be fine. Um, in the 13th minute, Gabbiadini had a massive miss. It was pretty much um, an open goal and he skied it. In the 34th minute, uh, Zanoli scored for Sampdoria to give them the one lead. Fabio Qualiarella made a determined run on the left wing and delivered a well-placed cross into the crowded Empoli penalty area. Zanoli positioned himself perfectly and struck the ball past the goalkeeper, Vicario, finding the back of the net. In the 93rd minute, Piccoli got his first goal for Empoli. In the 93rd minute, this was his first goal in almost two years. Hmm. Um, as the match approached its final moments, Empoli intensified their efforts to find the goal. Um, in the dying minutes, a bouncing ball inside the Sampdoria penalty area fell to Piccoli, who reacted quickly and poked the ball past the Sampdoria goalkeeper to level the score. Now, my only talking point <clears> from this <throat> game, bro, Cambiaghi is so good. He's bro. really come to life eh, really in, the, in the last part of the season. And it's he so really nice has. to see that the Zanetti team is gelling. And everyone seems to know what what to do. Um, their touches, their touches have been fucking super, bro. Like the one touch movement, like you know, in the in the middle. There's always something missing with Empoli, and there probably will always be something missing because big mm. teams will eat away at their resources, at their strongest mm-hmm. points, as we've discussed before. Yes. Now, but you look at Baldanzi, Henderson, Caputo, and Cambiaghi, they have a really nice understanding, not to mention Marin and Grassi have actually yes. been very good in support yeah. behind them, and a reliable, dependable defense, and a great goalkeeper. That is Empoli for you. And they are safe. We'll see them again next year. Sabdoria, yes. we won't be seeing. No, no. And then we'll be seeing their, their city rivals, Genoa, up, up back. Mm-hmm. So... 
very very bitter to to be a if you are a Sampdoria fan. Um, <clears throat> like you said, Sampdoria look quite good when they're not playing with pressure. Um, it is also that classic too little, um, too little, too late. Yeah. So uh, I think we have tried our best to kind of get on that Sampdoria train after they brought on Dejan Stankovic saying, ah, they're looking better here, they're looking better here, they're looking better here. But the fact of the matter is, and this this goes to show, their problem is getting three points. Their problem has always been the season mm-hmm. getting three points. They were leading the game for so long and then the 93rd minute slipping up and conceding to a, to a Piccoli goal. Um, very disappointing, once again, for Sampdoria, who can say they looked better because they were more in the game. Um, but yeah, very disappointing for them not to get away with the victory over after leading for so long. Yeah, bro. Um, but honestly, good riddance. Poor project, you should get punished for it. Yeah. Lack poor- of investment, you should get punished for it. Yeah, poor decisions. Um, a fucking bastard as their owner as well. Yeah. And so. Genoa coming up are the complete opposite right now. New owners, fresh faced, you know, um, good project, young manager, decent pieces in their team, yeah. you know, Massimo Cola, yeah. Ramu guys who've done it before, Bani as a centre back. Yeah. It's all good for them. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde over there. Exactly. Exactly. Yin and Yang. Where are they in the table, brother? So Sampdoria are dead last with 18 points, while Empoli are up in 14th with 39 points. I personally, I'm just looking forward to next season at this point. So obviously... No, the ending is going to be massive edge, of this season, Edge of bro. the seat stuff. Edge of the seat stuff for, for this season. But like, like you said, teams like um, Sampdoria have, have had this really dead weight about them this season. Cremonese for the most part as well. Um, and then on, on, on the other hand, as a Milan fan, seeing that slip up from January onwards after the World Cup, I just, I'm, I'm really, really, really looking forward to next season at this point. Both, both from a good riddance to this season from a Milan fan perspective, and then because there's so much to look forward to next season as well, man. Yeah, totally. Um, what I personally can't stand is that period of time when there's no football on and <laughs> we're just listening to transfer rumours and everyone's opinions and, you know, I, I yeah. hate that personally. Um, what I am excited for right now is Sunday, 12.30, Lecce, Spezia. Honestly, if you're going to watch one game this weekend, make sure it's that one. Yes. Oh, that's that's going to be massive. Be massive. It's going to be so good. That's going to be incredible. And if you're anywhere in the area, you should get tickets. Yeah, why not? 100%. Before we conclude, um, we have a question from our boy Dennis. What a legend, absolute yeah. legend. Yeah, yeah. Love we talking. love you, Dennis. We love talking to Dennis. Um, he's got a question. He asked um, outside the Serie A, so from the top five leagues, um, do you guys have a favorite team in each league that you have a soft spot for? I would say so. I think so. So let's go through the top five leagues. Obviously, Italy is Milan for both of us. Yes. And Salernitana for me, the soft mm. spot at the moment. <laughs> uh-huh. um, the soft spot in Italy for me would be Empoli, I think. Okay. Um, Germany? Germany, Dortmund. Same, Dortmund's a fandom. No, yeah, it's yeah. A fandom 100%. 100%. Um, any, anything else in Germany? Anyone else you have a soft spot for? Person, no, person, no, same, not, same really. <laughs> not really. Um, France? In France, I like what that young gentleman is doing, man. Um, uh, he used to, he, he manages a team in France um, and his only previous experience was playing football manager. 
Yeah. Um, Rems, I believe he's he's managing. Um, so I have a massive swat, soft spot for them. Let me just get get all of my facts straight before I. Will Still is his name. He's he's a Rems man. He's the Rems manager, and he's notorious. He's famous for his only previous experience being playing football manager, and he's absolutely nailing it now. Um, so Rems at the moment would be my favorite team in in France, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, yeah, for me in France, it has to be Marseille. Marseille because of the fan base. Oh, the fan base! I love, I love a rough fan base, yeah. and I love the fact that they're the underdogs. Mm. You know, they're rivals to PSG, who are obviously the titans in the league. So I love, I love to watch. And they have Dimitri Payet as well. It's always yeah, fun to yeah, watch. Yeah. Um, England. Uh, in England, I really, really love watching City. Um, their brand of football is is amazing, and Guardiola is just a genius. And the, mm. the way he always shakes things up, shakes things up from season to season, is admirable. Um, as a club, I really root for Liverpool. However, really, yes, okay. I, I like Nottingham Forest, dude. Oh yeah, no, no, I have to change my answer. Yeah. I'm sorry, it's it's definitely not. Our Nottingham dad's Forest. a Nottingham Forest fan. That's yeah, his, uh, that's the thing. Yeah, and Arsenal as well. I like, I like Arsenal. Yeah, I like Arsenal a lot. I like their especially what they're their doing. Their style this of football, the whole Wenger philosophy and all that, and yeah. even um, with their coach now Arteta, they're doing very well. It's a shame that um, they couldn't run away with the league. City are just. The, the the Premier League's in danger of becoming one of those one-sided leagues now with the, this whole city dominance. They look incredible, dude. Yeah, agreed. We're missing one league, yes, bro. Spain, Spain, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Fair enough. Love Simeone. Love the balls, dude. Love the fucking grit that that team has. Love them. Yeah. The, for for me, it's Real. I I grew up as a Real Madrid fan initially yeah. before I I saw the light. Um. One thing that that made me fall out of love with Real is is the way that they're operated as a as a football club. Um, Florentino Perez pushing for the pushing for the Super League, having tight relationships with the King of Spain. Mm. They're the King's club, and everything gets handed to them on a silver platter. Um, dubious calls constantly in the Champions League when yes. they won three in a row. There was a particular game against Bayern Munich. That was shambolic refereeing. Um, so now you support Milan, who have never had any political affiliation whatsoever. Right? <laughs> Silvio, Silvio, Silvio. Yeah, I also like Betis, by the way. Yeah, I love, I love Betis. I, I like the way they move the ball around. I love their footballing philosophy. Yeah, but but about Real, I think you have to love them from a brand perspective. The whole Galacticos yeah. thing that they they rule Europe, even though they're losing three 0 to City as we speak. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think we we've given good answers over there. Yeah, thank you. Um, Dennis has he he mentioned a team that have an incredible history in Spain, Osasuna. Mm, Osasuna are a cool team. Yeah, they're a hidden gem. He suggested reading up on them. So everyone, read up on Osasuna. Improve yourselves. Exactly, and we'll do the same. Thank you very much for listening, guys. We have been your hosts, Jake and Matt. I said it for you. Thank um, you. We've been saying uh, Spotlight. Thank you very much. Remember to check out our Instagram. Keep an eye out on our Patreon if you want to support this um, podcast that we have going on. Let us know um, what you think about it. Reach out. DM us. We always reply. Um, we love you and goodbye. Goodbye, guys. See you next week.